you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Well, howdy and welcome back to Prairie Justice, the Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Hey, I remember the name of my podcast this time. Things bode well. Well, today we're back on track, uh, back to regular vigilante stories after a couple of long breaks there. Uh, We're going to be into Action Comics number 45 and the case of the Bamboo Death. And uh, this is going to be an interesting story. Um, I was a little scared of this at first. When I first started to scan the pages, it looked like it had some of the most good old or bad old 1940 sort of a racial bias towards it. And I'm not going to say that that's not there, but uh, as it turned out, it was a little bit newer nuanced than I thought, and I didn't give old Mort Weisinger his credit. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting into that. Um, First, um, we're going to get into some feedback, and then after uh, promo break, we've got some news. And you know what? That's two in a row where I've actually got vigilante news and sightings in the DC Universe. So that's interesting, and not a lot of feedback right now, but I do have it, so I might as well get through it. First, uh, I'd like to acknowledge my Twitter followers, Comics42, Frank Esposito, William Greg Stamey, Bub, Warlock Thanos Podcast, uh, Chris, uh, I believe that's Chris at Bat Books, uh, Dark Side's Couch, C. Hempler, Doc Strange, and of course that's Billy D., Scott X, John Stinson Ferrand, Jim Imbraglia, there we go, just back up and take a run on it, Our Moonlight Reigns, Maz, Dave's Comics Hooks Heroes Blog, Visionary, Zane Reed Johnson, Ward Hill Terry, CLS Shaver, Into the Weird, and of course that's uh, Herman and Billy again. Uh, we have Mark, uh, Mark B. Levin, I believe, Sean O. Chicago, Illumina Vassar, Ryan Smith, Nick Jackson, uh, another Chris, uh, Hey Hey Mr. A, Enoch Scout, and the legendary Dr. Ange, Dark Mark, Chris Lydon, the All-Star Squadron, and Wacky Bronze, Silver Comic Book Villains, and Max Reads Comics, and we had shares from, I'm going to assume is a few of the, the same, uh, retweets, I guess that's the way I should say it. Doc Strange, Warlock Thanos, In Jim Ambruglia, Dave's Comics Heroes Blog, Zane again, Into the Weird, Chris Layden, All Star Squadron, and Wacky Brown, Silver Comic Book Villain. So thanks everybody for getting the word out here on Prairie Justice. And I'm going to go straight into uh, my one letter that I have. So we might as well get that out of the road. I'm just moving my Twitter out of the road. Oh, technology. There we go. And of course, who could be else be but Dave McElvaney, who sent me a sweet missive here on Prairie Justice Episode 5, which was the uh, kind of my catch-up where I got my episode, where I got into the All-Star Squadron's World on Fire, and of course the All-Star Squadron preview from uh, JLA 193. I'm working off my memory, folks. Um, greetings, Ranger Gord. It was good of you to mention the news of the coming new Seven Soldiers of Victory, and I'll get to that a little bit later, folks, as well as mentioning the new podcasts covering the JSA and the Seven Soldiers. I will probably sample these podcasts to see if we I want to add them to my burgeoning list. And I know what you mean about burgeoning lists, uh, Dave. 
but they're good podcasts to get onto. Uh, it was fun listening to the feedback from your listeners. I always enjoy hearing a variety of people commenting on podcasts that I listen to, and I so hope that continues. I remember that, quote, pull out, unquote, I didn't pull it out, and the first issue of All-Star Squadron from back in 1981, and I enjoyed them enough to continue reading up through to Crisis on Infinite Earths. I think you did a good job on the pullout and first issue. Nice work on Roosevelt's voice, by the way. Hey, nothing to fear but fear itself, Dave. Um, I think trying to match his Middle Atlantic accent would be pretty hard, since it's an affected or cultivated accent rather than a natural one. And as I said to Dave in my reply, I says, I'm just glad they didn't have the Canadian Prime Minister of the time there, Mackenzie King, because he had a very squeaky voice. I particularly enjoyed your music choices, particularly the big band music, which always makes me smile because my mom list, uh, used to listen to a radio station that played those records a lot. So they're locked into my earliest memories. And I realize that genre won't exactly fit a lot of Vigilante's adventures, but I'm glad that I got to hear some this time. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvaney. Well, as I'm learning, Dave, um, I'm going to keep, you know, I, I realize I'm calling it Greg Saunders Radio Rodeo, but I don't want to just make it old mournful cowboy songs. Um, I'd like to have a variety of things I remember, and uh, Big Band actually does fit into this point of time, uh, very much because the 1940s. Um, even on the prairie that uh, the strains of Glenn Miller used to come through. When, and I, to this day, I can't think of the Rocky Mountains without hearing Glenn Miller because of my mom. Um, who as a, a small girl during World War II, or as a growing girl, I should say, lived in Banff National Park. And uh, she got to hear a lot of uh, big band and swing dance music at the local uh, uh, dance palaces and stadiums uh, as she was growing up. And her and my dad in their earlier years got to see, hear some of those uh those people as well. Not so much uh, Mr. Miller or, or uh, Betty Goodman, of course, unless they happen to come through. But uh, she did like a Canadian uh, band called the Mark Kenny and His Western Gentlemen. So if I can ever dig some of that up, I'll have to take a gander at it. So thank you, Dave. And um, I think I'll leave it at that. And I'm just going to go to a podcast promo, and then we'll be back for this breaking, burgeoning news. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity Crisis. Lone Wolf and Cub. Hergé's Tintin. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. <laughs> it's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing, not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo. And this Ultra of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. 
Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace, this is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast, aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. And so here we are, back to all the news that you can use. Last week we talked about the upcoming Star Girl Spring Break Special, which featured seven or eight, depending how you count, Soldiers of Victory on the cover. And I mentioned that at that point in time I had no real information on uh, that particular edition when it was supposed to come out. I assumed it was probably about April. Still haven't seen a solicit. Um, but I no more than got the words and got that, uh, that last podcast posted. Went up on my Twitter feed about the next morning. Up popped. Well, would you believe this or not? The Vigilante actually making an appearance in a comic book being published in the year 2021. Well, I quickly ran off and found out that it was something called Infinite Frontier. And in particular, it was Infinite Frontier number zero. So this is the preview to the next great DC event where everything is going to change all over again and nothing will ever again be the same again whatsoever. But it's got vigilante. So (laughs) I need to pay attention. So... Um, I got my comicsology up. I did download it, and um, I'll just give you a little information of what uh, DC says the Infinite Frontier is. Uh, summary: the, Let me take a drink of water, please. Thank you for your patience. The next phase of the DC universe begins here. Dark Knight's Death Metal editorial, which I did not read and know nothing about. Uh, presented the darkest threats of the multiverse. DC Future State, again, I know nothing about this, revealed what may lie ahead. Now it's time to look into the infinite frontier of the current day DC universe. Well, you said the right word, DC. Frontier, you got me. In Gotham City, the Joker... Surprise! The Joker's making an appearance... Uh, jolt citizens awake with an attack even the Dark Knight never expected. <laughs> in Brazil, a young woman discovers her destiny and her connection to the Amazons. In Belle Reve, Amanda Waller plots an invasion of Arkham Asylum. In the far reaches of space, Mungle, oh, candy grump for Mungle, uh, dreams of galactic domination. While the Green Lantern Corps hosts a summit of its greatest enemies. At the Hall of Justice, not the one in Cincinnati, the League joins forces with Black Adam. Beyond the mortal world, Wonder Woman settles into a new role in the God Sphere. 
And somewhere in the DC Universe is the return of Stargirl in an all-new tale written by Jeff Johns. Geez, I think that might have something to do with the second season. This oversized all-star issue kicks off the great next great era of storytelling and excitement as top writers and artists reveal what's next for the world's greatest heroes and opens the door to some of the greatest stories of 2021. So this is kind of a jam issue. Um, oh boy, it's got uh, all kinds of credits. We've got credits from everybody from Alex Maliev, Todd Nock, Howard Porter, John Timms, John Romita Jr., Dexter Soy, David Marquez, George Jimenez, uh, Althea Martinez, Jonel Jones, Stephen Byrne, Rafael Sandoval, Jamel Igle, and um, with story written by James Tinian IV, Philip K. Johnson, Joshua Williamson, the aforementioned Jeff Johns, Jeffrey Thorne, Scott Snyder, Brian Michael Bendis, Michael Conrad, Becky Cloonan, Joel Jones, and Tim Sheridan. So we've got a real murderer's row of modern comic book... Uh, greatness here um, so I'm just now that I've kind of given you the summary of the whole thing and um, I'm not going to do a blow-by-blow -blow radio drama here but uh, as we get I'll just a uh, quick summary I'm, I'm jumping ahead to the star girl part um, we basically see Courtney Thorne in her high school looking very familiar to the old stars and stripe episode and uh, her, pat, her stepdad, Pat Dugan, is caught up to her to give her her lunch or something like that. When all of a sudden his cell phone rings. And he hears, he says, hello? And on the other end of the cell phone, I'm putting on my red bandana, folks. Pat, the soldiers, we need you. Greg? Hello? What is it? A reason to ditch school. And Courtney Thorne is very happy to hear about that. Well, I think that's going to be leading into our Stargirl Spring Break special. So when I know more about that, you'll know more about that. But... <laughs> I guess DC heard me complaining about the Vigilante being the wallpaper boy of the uh, DC Universe. And he's in a modern comic out this month, and he actually set a line. And we do see him. We've, uh, he's basically, it's uh, all we really see is his hat and his bandana in his hand on a phone. And the phone has a cord on it. So uh, Vigilante hasn't uh, upgraded to the digital universe, and I like that. And if I hear a telephone ring, an ancient telephone ring, I'll be really, really happy. But at any rate, that's what I can tell you. So Infinite Frontier and the Stargirl Spring Break special, um, I have no cut in it, uh, obviously. But... That's where you can catch your some vigilante goodness. And this is probably the first time we've seen vigilante actually appear in a comic in I couldn't say when. I really don't. By the way, this is an appeal. If you have seen vigilante in a comic at any time during 
and since the new 52, please tell me. I did see him portrayed in one of the new 52 Suicide Squads as being one of the people who had originally filled the jails of Belle Reve, more or less in a flashback. And uh, I have not really read a comic since the New 52. I bailed about a year before that experiment ended, and I never got back on the horse. So if you do know of a vigilante appearance that you have seen, let's just be honest, I'll say it in the 2010s to 2021, all-inclusive to today, please let the ranger know. Um, other than that, I've pretty much got a catalog of all of his appearances, but I'd like it to be complete. Okay, thus endeth the lesson. So let's get after this month's comic, or this episode's comic, rather. Uh, Action Comics number 45. December 17th, 1941 is when this was published, is when it hit the stands. So we are definitely into the, the age of the Pacific War and, of course, the war in Europe as well, uh, 10 days after Pearl Harbor. Now, as I've been going through these issues, of course, it's not a, just a vigilante comic book. It's an anthology, and it has a very, very significant title character. Of course, it's Superman. And uh, the, uh, just a quick go through on this story, the Superman story. Don't want to uh, spend too much time here. There are many Superman podcasts out there who can deal with this. Uh, but this, this is an interesting story. Clark and Lois, Lois go to the Metropolis Zoo, are very sad because there doesn't seem to be any animals. And the zookeeper is very sad because of the war. He can't seem to get animals. So... <laughs> What does Superman do? Of course, he appropriates a ship and he decides to use it as an ark. And he goes off to Africa and India and he's going to repopulate the Metropolis Zoo uh, with animals from uh, those, those countries. And it's extremely a colonial looking story. Um, I gotta tell you, um, as far as Super Dickery is concerned, this story has... Uh, Really probably a lot more problematic than the vigilante story that I'm going to cover. That's all I'm going to say is, you know, we're in World War II. And yes, Superman, I know the spirit destiny won't let you go to Japan or Europe to do something to end the war. But uh, you can go to the uh, Africa and India and pick up animals for the zoo because we don't want anybody to be sad because there's no animals in the zoo. That's all I'm going to say about that. And uh, past the vigilante is the second uh, feature again, 13-page story. There's a house ad for the leading comic story that we just uh, covered a couple of episodes back. Um... Uh, we have an interesting, uh, the three aces, and of course the three aces are three civilian aviators, and they're probably going to become military aviators as it goes along, and this story appears to have a bit of a scientific, Terry, in, or science fiction, sorry, Terry and the Pirates kind of uh, bent. Uh, books worth reading, because uh, these comics seem to uh, want to try to advocate, uh, you know, uh, chapter books as well. 
and they're advocating Long Wharf, a story of young San Francisco by Howard Pease. That's actually uh, one that sounds interesting. I might look into that. Uh, Mr. America and Fat Man. Um, no, there's no shaming here by Mr. Bernard Bailey. Uh, at this point in time, Tex Thompson is in his full costume, uh, sort of being the Uncle Sam or Captain America of DC. And yes, he has a sidekick named Fat Man who has a pot in his head. And we have Clancy the Cop. And that's interesting because I know we're going to see a Clancy Cop in our Vigilante story. And this is by uh, Henry Boltonoff. Ah, so I wonder, ah, Clancy the Cop, are you moonlighting over in the Vigilante strip? Uh, Bird in the Hand by John Hilton, that's a text piece. Congo Bill, uh, uh, no word of whether he's helping Superman round up tigers in India so that the uh, the Metropolis Zoo doesn't go vacant. And we've got house ads for the uh, Superman Quarterly comic and uh, more fun comic where some kids are arguing about uh, what the best feature is in more fun comics, whether it's Green Arrow, Dr. Fate, or Aquaman. I guess the Spectre gets no love, but he is in the corner box on the cover. And Zatera the Master Magician. And, of course, this is Vigilante's old buddy from the All-Star Squadron. And um, I'm just going to say that there's going to be a, a bit of a reference to magic and magicians in the Vigilante story. And that's all I'll say. And we finish off with a house ad for some of the... Uh, the quarterlies that DC is publishing, World's Finest, uh, with Superman, Batman, and Robin on the covers, uh, All-Star Comics featuring the Justice Society, um, one of the most iconic uh, Batman poses you probably know is uh, on the cover of Batman number 9, and that's when uh, Batman and Robin are kind of have a big spotlight on them, and they've just realized they have a spotlight on them, and they're trying to almost kind of hide themselves uh, probably, uh, I don't know who the cover when I want to say Bob Kane, but Bob Kane would say it was Bob Kane, but I'm sure other scholars would say something else. Uh, Green Lantern, who has his a quarterly, all flash quarterly, and, uh, two characters that I can remember from comic strips, even when I was young, Mutt and Jeff. And they have been around probably at this point in time, well over a hundred years now. At this point in time, 2021, but I believe they got their start in uh, black and white newspaper comics in around about the, the First World War. And uh, boy, uh, the, on the back cover, this is interesting. Uh, Red Rider is uh, advertising his cowboy carbine. And you know what? This is December 17th, so we are getting close to Christmas. And I think we all know what that means. And there's a Baby Ruth ad uh, for Baby Ruth candy bars with a uh, young fellow in a snowplow because of his Baby Ruth can candy bar with his rich in dextrokes, the sugar your body uses directly for energy. And uh, he's plowing that road just because he's got that baby Ruth under his belt. Ah, Curtis Candy Company, Chicago, Illinois. Interesting. 
well, I'm going to tell my doctor next time that uh, I need energy, so in order to plow snow. So we're, we're keeping up on our chronology, and the cover date is February 1942. Uh, story title is The Case of the Bamboo Death. At least that's what I'm calling it. It, uh, According to Dave, uh, Mike's uh, DC indexes, it doesn't really have a title, but if you look on the splash page of the Vigilante story, it's kind of right in there. It's just not really highlighted or underlined or anything like that. It's just, it's just such a good hearty party boy sort of a title. Why not use it? Your writer, as usual, we're still with Mort Weisender. Our penciler is Mort Meskin, and uh, we are naming an inker, I think for the first time, George Russo's. And um, as we get into this, I'm just going to warn you, we're going to be treated to a new character that we're going to get used to, because he's going to be around a very long time, and unfortunately, we're probably going to have to say goodbye, and quite unceremoniously, to somebody we have been getting used to. So that's all I'm going to say for right now, except I'm going to put a bit of a viewer warning or listener warning, as it says. Uh, if you bother to look this uh, comic up in uh, places where this comic can be looked up, uh, you may see some very images that may call up the idea of Asian stereotypes. And so it's a, definitely we're taking place in its time, as I said. We are in the 1940s. We are at war. Uh, it's mostly the Chinese that are being depicted. But as we'll, I think, come to know, um, I think there's a little bit more nuance than we might think. So um, I hope that you appreciate. I've tried to be very, very respectable in uh, how I do the voices and uh, and I th when I do something that's very sounds very stereotypical in there, there's sort of a reason for it, and uh, we'll address that more in the show notes after our radio drama. So on with the case of the bamboo death. East is east, and west is west, and never the twain shall meet. So goes an old saying. But they do meet in this incredible story of bizarre adventure in modern Chinatown. The case of the bamboo death. Follow the victory trail of the vigilante as he prowls the labyrinth avenues of Chinatown on a manhunt for a macabre murder master. And brings back face to an honorable race by destroying the head. New York's Chinatown, where flourishes the honorable traditions and customs of a race almost as old as time itself. Then into peaceful Chinatown, one evening reaches the white man's tentacle of terror. No funny business now. My trigger finger's itchy. Give me a break, fellas. The trio of white men enter the innocent-looking curio shop. The touch of a secret button. And the wall swings back. What a layout the head has. Rare rugs, jade, and tapestries. But best of all, the boss has brains 
That's what you need to lick the lob, Bugsy. Inside the lavishly furnished room, one of the criminals puts a flame to a piece of incense. I feel like Aladdin lightens the lamp whenever I do this. It's the only way I know to summon the head. Soft, billowy clouds of smoke roll out from the burning incense. There is the cloyingly sweet odor of oriental perfume. Then a rift in the smoke. And the men see... It's the head! You have summoned me, Bugsy. I hope the matter is important for your sake. It sure is, boss. Lefty and me found out that this guy is a stool pigeon. Working for the cops. There's only one penalty for traitors. A bamboo death. Moments later, and the luckless victim is subjected to an insidious doom. Only little drops of water. One at a time. But they'll drive him crazy. Yes, sir. They don't pay. <laughs> hour after hour, the tiny drops of water beat a rhythmic tattoo of doom on the helpless man's forehead until each drop seems like a sledgehammer blow. Stop pounding that drum. Stop pounding that drum. Later. Your unfortunate spy is now but the shell of a man. Observe his face carefully. It may happen to you. And now, get ready for the job on Hop Wings Silk Loft. Gee, what a face. Okay, boss. Working swiftly, the two white men disguise themselves as members of the White Lotus Tongue. Our meal of Chinese, eh, what? Shut up. Let your hatchet do your talking from now on. China town calculation. That's cool with no regret. Midnight. And the two renegade white men stalk an unsuspected guard. Like wary jungle tigers. Our hatchet has it all over a cat. No noise, no nothing. Shh. There he is. Is evil in there. This person wishes night would end. Let him have it. Inside the warehouse, another guard falls victims to the ruthless raiders. Now you can guard the bones of your honorable ancestors. Nice work, pal. He was just about to sound the burglar alarm. Swiftly, silently, the henchmen of death load their silken loot aboard a waiting truck. Hurry up, Barzy. We got a fortune of the stuff already. The next morning, a and peaceful Chinatown is thrown into an uproar. Guards murdered in Hopwing Silk Warehouse. Big cargo of raw silk stolen. At the home of Lin Chu, venerable patriarch and wise old leader of the White Lotus Tong. Do you deny that the hatchet belongs to one of your Tong members? Hatchet like coin may have many owners. A strong chain of circumstantial evidence is forged, and the aged patriarch soon finds himself an outcast. Why don't you guys get wise to yourself? Can't you see they're trying to make a fall guy out of my grandpop? Evil like opium has robbed Lin Chu of his true sense. 
Lin Chu has new idol, gold. In another part of the city, Greg Saunders, the prairie troubadour, confers with his publicity agent. I'll tell you, Mr. Sanders, the idea is terrific. Just what is needed to put your first anniversary on the air with a bang. Go on, you interest me. You're radio's number one glamour boy, Mr. Sanders. Well, tonight, we'll all go down to Chinatown, have a dinner party at the Far East Club. Can't you see the headlines? West goes east. The West goes east. Of course, Betty, I'd rather eat sourdough biscuits and bacon than this Chinese grub. He's told so many people he's from the West, he's actually beginning to believe it. Evening and photographers have a field day shooting pictures of the colorful singer of western ballads. Just, 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 just one more, Mr. Sanders. Later, and Greg Sanders takes a stroll through the crowded Chinatown streets. There's something exciting about Chinatown, don't you think so? I guess so. Things certainly have been popping here lately, what with those silk robbers. Suddenly... Huh? Come back and fight, you sissies. I'll fix your wagon. Well, what's your hurry, young man? Don't you think you better cool off for a while? Baloney, let me go, you dude cowboy. I got some guys I want to polish off. What's the trouble, kid? Can I help? Nah, a drugstore cowboy like you can't help me. My grandpop's in hot water up to his ears, and that's why all the kids on my block are trashing me. I gotta help him beat the rap. Maybe I can't help you, son. But suppose I got you the assistance of a real cowboy, like the vigilante. The vigilante? Holy cow, mister, he's tops. He'd show the skunks where framing my grandpops how to bite the dirt. Can you really get him? I'll try, lad. Just give me the name and address of your grandfather and... I'll try to get the vigilante to be at his house tonight. The big phony. Giving that poor child false hope. Later, and Greg Sanders becomes once again the vigilante, nemesis of all crime. This Chinatown might be full of more rattlesnakes than a whole prairie. The vigilante hastens to the home of the venerable Lin Chu. Here he is, Grandpa. Just like I said, boy, with him on our side, we'll make those wise kids eat dirt, or my name ain't Stuff. Honorable Vigilante must excuse impetuous grandson. Tell me how I can help you. For long minutes, the lawman from the West and the patriarch from the East hold consultation. Then... I'll do what I can. But you'll have to lend me young stuff. I don't know my way around Chinatown. Hot dog! I'm gonna prowl around with the vigilante! Later. This is the way we play follow the leader around here. Come on, vigilante! <laughs> what a kid. Meanwhile, in the streets below, two sinister figures dart from the shadows. He'll never know what hit him. This will be another murder chalked up against Lin Chu. Like an uncoiled cobra striking, a deadly noose hisses out. 
It's the vigilante. Let's go, stuff. Yippee! A human hurricane descends upon the two Chinese imposters. I'm kicking the gong around. Hello, good chum. Still want to play follow the leader? Try this, stuff. Try this on your piano, vigilante. Chinese handshake. Not bad, stuff. How'd you do that? Jujitsu. That's how we mobilize the kids on my block. And across the street, a pair of baleful eyes survey the vigilante's victory. Eyes belonging to the head. Here you are, Clancy. They're all yours. Oh, they'll make me sergeant for this. These hatchets, they're marked with the symbol of the white lotus tongue. Use your head, kid. They're trying to frame your grandfather, but why? Come on, rat. What's your moniker? You'd better spell. Uh, uh, my name Hopley. What's it to you? Yo, and I'm his brother, Wingly. Presently, and the Chinese youth whips out his handkerchief and removes yellow grease paint from the faces of the two criminals. Just as I thought. These crooks ain't Chinese. They're white men. Explanation, please, Stuff. How did you tumble? They said they were brothers. If they were real Chinese, their first names would have been similar. The family name always goes first among my people. Suddenly... In response to the signal of the gongs, the henchmen around Chinatowns drop their nefarious games and rush to the summoning of their master. That's the signal. Just when I was finding everything peaceful. Well, aren't you going to hold me up? No, that can wait. That was the signal. Uh, we'll finish this fight some other time. The head calls. Uh, that's okay with me. Yeah, in front of the small building on Mott Street. Hurry up, bring everyone. It's the vigilante. Get him. He should have stayed out west. The thugs close in. Greetings, mate. You're a little late. Hello, lad. I'll bet you're mad. Button, button. Right on your button. <clears throat> but the overwhelming odds eventually proved too much for the vigilante. Wait till the head sees this rope spinning, punk. Let me go, you big ape. The vigilante soon finds himself at the gang's headquarters, a victim of the cruel crime chieftain. The head ought to come out of that smoke in a minute. That smoke sure smells sweet. Almost makes me slap happy. Once again, the smoke thins out, and the head, mystery villain, addresses his men. Good work, men, capturing that meddler. The vigilante is a fit subject for that ingenious execution device. 
the bamboo death. The fatal drops drip down upon the crime fighter's brow in a weird rain of death. The cunning devil. I won't be the first poor soul driven mad this way. Silence reigns as the band of criminals listen tensely to the ominous patter. Oh, what a horrible fate. I'm glad that ain't me. Suddenly, an idea is born in the vigilante's mind as all eyes are focused upon his forehead. He moves his feet slightly toward the electric wire on the wall. Back and forth, the ace cowboy rubs the spur over the wire until the metal rips through the insulation and causes a short circuit of the lighting system. Quick stuff, do your stuff. Good thing I practiced my jujitsu homework. Under cover of darkness, stuff races over to the vigilante. You're free now, pal. Let's take him. Strange, but I've got an idea. The beam of a searchlight spears out as the powerhouse pair explode into dynamic action. Get him, man. Blackout for you. More ways than one. The flying fists of the vigilante stampede the criminal horde. Keep them flying. Let's scram. Out of the masma of the smoke emerges the head in the flesh. You cowardly pigs, come back! Don't leave me now! Just as I thought, he's no spirit. Well, let's get him. The spirit moves us. Heads, you lose. Oh! Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. He ain't such a big shot now, huh, Vigilante? They're all small fry in the long run. And this one's gonna fry in the hot seat. The last roundup isn't over yet, cowboy. The keen eyes of the range lawman spy a sinister tattoo on the arm of the outlaw. That tattoo? That's the sign of the Dagger of Kali. A society of Japanese secret agents. Yes, sure. My job in the city was to start a tang war in Chinatown. To make the Chinese folks so occupied with their own troubles, they wouldn't be able to help their mother country. Later, at the home of the aged Lin Chu. The head is now safe behind the bars. And the members of your tongue may once again walk the streets of Chinatown unashamed. My thanks are as countless as the grains of sand, O oh, honorable vigilante. Stole it, Grandpa. Save the congratulations until we nab the rest of the gang. <laughs> I must apologize for noble grandson. He is, as you Americans say, not dry behind the ears. Old stuff's all right, and he's telling the truth. Our job isn't over yet. Presently, and the two companions once again race fleet-footed over the Chinatown streets. Where to, partner? It's roundup time, Button. Follow me. 
Moments later, find the partners in peril inside the deserted warehouse, last frequented by the head. This brought the rats out of their holes once. It'll work again. Not bad. Not bad. Why didn't I think of that idea? Like the Pied Piper luring mice with his loot, the resonant echoes of the great gong draws the human rats to their doom. The head summons. Yeah, the boss wants us. Phone for the wagon stuff. These boys are going to be tied up for the next few moments in more ways than one. Okay. But save a few for me. Stampede, coyotes. It was a false alarm. That's the vigilante. Pardon my branding iron. Moments later. I think I could do this with one hand. Again and again, the tornado team lunge out with roundhouse rights and rope. Finally. Well, here they are, all ready for the law with strings attached. Yeah, man. Later, when the vigilante returns to the hideout of the head to recover the stolen loot, Stuff is alarmed to see a 10-foot high image of the vigilante's head atop of where the villain used to enthrall his superstitious gullible mobster followers. Holy cow. So that's how the head was able to pull his stunt. Yes, stuff. It was all done with mirrors. It's an old magician's trick. There's a small mirror at the base of the altar and a large mirror on the wall. The thick smoke and a drug released by the incense all helped the illusion. Much later at the broadcasting studio. It looks as if the vigilante scooped you, Greg. Oh, well, we can't all be public heroes. The vigilante's noose once again snares a mystery murder monarch and crushes his empire of crime in next month's issue of Action Comics. When I first started to realize that we were going to be doing a story set in Chinatown, as far as music was concerned, uh, my head had one go-to immediately, and that was a song called Chinatown Calculation. And you hear that as the underlying music uh, throughout the episode. So we're going to use this as uh, Greg Saunders' Rodeo Radio. I think I got that right this time. And we're going to have actually a couple of Rodeo Radios this time. So we'll have a, a second one later on, and there, there's good reason for that. But... Uh, Chinatown Calculation is from Doug and the Slugs, and it's a song from about, oh, 19, oh, I want to say 1983 or so. And Doug and the Slugs is just a great boogie-woogie band out of Vancouver, B.C. Just your basic couple of guitars and drums and an excellent singer in the form of Doug and Bennett, and who forms the, uh, the front man for the Slugs. And this was a band that was just all over Canadian radio throughout the 1980s. And I don't know if you ever heard of him in the United States. However, 
the 1999-2001 ABC sitcom called The Norm Show that starred Norm MacDonald, uh, your old Saturday Night Live news guy, uh, used one of Duggan the Slugs' uh, most popular hits called Too Bad as its theme song. I don't remember The Norm Show, but I sure remember Too Bad. I remember every time that uh, if you were driving around with your friends and you saw somebody had gotten pulled over getting a speed ticket, you rolled down the windows and you just yelled out, too bad that you had to get caught. Because we were, well, jerks. At any rate, <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not going to say too much more about Doug and the Slugs. Um, Doug, unfortunately, passed away in 2004 and we haven't heard too much more from uh, the remaining slugs, at least through the 1990s. Uh, they had songs like, uh, as I'm going to write, Chinatown Calculation, The Tomcat Prowl. At any rate, if you've never heard from them, um, hit the YouTubes, hit the iTunes. Um, you can bet that within three notes, uh, you're going to know what a Doug and the Slug song is going to be, and you know you're going to be in for a few minutes of a good time. So here's uh, from Greg Saunders. <laughs> I get it again. Rodeo Radio. Here's uh, Chinatown Calculation. Watching six years slipping through my picket gate Like some wounded dog escaping through that hole in the kennel fence The water's boiling, poached eight waiting The post I know they still on the plate The queen of diamonds lying face down Your hidden message makes no sense Whoever the new mystery man is I've got to admit he knows his business Just the way you might expect Chinatown calculation That's cool with no regret Chop to it, chop, chop to it The city seems so cold at night And I'm fighting a feeling something's lost Clinical friends got the cynical bends Or that dialogue's on a single track They say I'm sad cause the roof went walking Well that's the price, don't they know love Sometimes money, but mostly the moments I seem so much a part of the pack. Whoever the new mystery man is, I got to admit, and those head business. You read me now, from the right to the left, and it's coming out just the way you might expect. Chinatown calculation, that's cool with no regret. Regret. It's a challenge, it's a challenge. Well, it 
ain't easy watching six years slipping through my picket gate Like some moon dead I escaping through that hole in the can of films I never saw that cold equation algebra behind your face Then wrote me off as a bad transaction Your abacus spoke deadly sounds However the new mystery man is I got to admit Well, that gets me roused up and charged, ready for to have a review of the 13-page story in Action Comics 45 here. The Case of the Bamboo Death. As I said, in the uh, usual preamble that you have in comics from these days that introduces the story, this is usually where they um, pile in the title of the story. In this case, they did something a little bit different. Uh, they piled it into the middle because it usually, uh, the name of the story usually hits at the bottom. And this time they hit the case of the bamboo death, but they didn't highlight it. Although I can see some quotations around it. So I guess they just forgot to over ink it because it didn't come down at the bottom. Uh, in this uh, split splash page, I said that correctly without tripping. Uh, the vigilante is whacking the crap out of a villain called The Head. That is our villain for today, The Head. Make your jokes now. My wife's maiden name was Head. I've heard them all. Anyway, he's uh, whacking a villain that looks a little bit like Wotan, the old Dr. Fate villain that is... Uh, Often a used as a vigilant, vigilante, justice society villain in later years, because uh, he's of a mystical nature, and they're trying to give the head <laughs> that mystical sort of uh, bent. And uh, Vidge has his gun drawn, and uh, it appears that uh, by the smoking barrel that uh, the head has just fired his Thompson submachine gun. Now, that's the last time you're going to see any guns in this story. And that's very interesting for a character whose main weapon is his guns. Is that uh, we're not going to see any gunplay in this story at all other than to be threatened by it by a few goons. Vidge won't use it. And neither will the head. So, um, now, in the splash page, you get a lot of imagery. Now, as I said, the head, he uh, sort of wears a green business suit, and he's got a long red flowing cape, and he's got that kind of a Widow's Peak Dracula sort of a, a hairdo that you see 
He, he also resembles the Mandarin from Iron Man, and that's where the problematic uh, problems comes through. He, he, he's resembling that because it's supposed to give you the idea of Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu was a character from pulp detective novels by a man named Sax Romer, who used uh, this Fu Manchu as a yellow peril kind of villain. And I think the Sax Romer novels, while being very, very interesting, have been pretty much debunked as a complete racist claptrap. And they, they play on, you know, people's worst fears. And uh, if you get into the, the kind of idea of what the yellow peril was, as Asian immigration started to pile into America and Canada through North America, you know, there was always going to be that class of people that's going to fear it and is going to try to raise up uh, problems with it. And there are all kinds of stories about uh, oppression of Asian people across uh, North America and who also formed protective societies. And these protective societies would be known as Tongs. Some people would mistake the uh, the community organizations also as criminal organizations. And I'm not saying that that did not happen. But you, you, you do still get this very much Asian imagery. And But in fact, when you look at it, they look more like masks. And, you know, there's these long pointed mustaches that are dripping down there's red blood red lips there's a kind of a almost fangish teeth and of course those devilish long Vulcan Spock ears and there's three heads uh, coming from the smoke out of uh, the heads uh, Tommy gun and that's the imagery that you get out of this having said that that might be the worst thing you see. Not everything is as we appear. Now our action rises uh, on the bottom of this split page. As it usually does in these sorts of thing things, a couple of gangsters show up, start to threaten someone else. And when they take this man over to their organization, they light up a brazier I guess for lack of a better term and you see a lot of smoke and they talk about a sweet uh, sort of a smell that's coming out that'll be explained later on let's call that check off smoke and then a large giant head pops up out of the smoke and appears to talk to the gangsters and it really puts the fear of God into these now I should mention that these gangsters are white. I talked about uh, some Chinese criminal organizations being known as Tongs. Um, that's probably a misnomer that does uh, tend to play into the yellow peril sort of a racism. And some of that is going on in this story, but in many ways it's, uh, it's sort of driving the story to a place that's go, I, I think is going to uh, be very surprising to you. Um, so apparently one of the gang members has uh, ratted out uh, 
this gang to the cops and he is put under this Chinese water torture. Uh, probably very similar to the uh, rendition waterboarding sort of thing that uh, caused so much consternation in the early 2000s after the uh, invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, things that were performed in Guantanamo Bay. But to get back to our story here, um, this gangster is pretty much driven crazy and then the head is telling two of these white gangsters to get ready for the next big job that they have. And their means of getting ready is to get into these very terribly stereotypical costumes that you associate with a racist kind of vision of what a Chinese person looks like. And it's these uh, these long long sleeved sort of pagoda costumes and these uh, rice hats and of course they are coloring themselves in uh, yellow grease paint now this is really interesting because the coloring on this page while you can say that this may be a, a very stereotypical kind of coloring for Asian people the white gangsters guess what the color in their faces is not pink folks white so there's some statements being made there's some decisions have been made perhaps it's an accident perhaps not but they're really giving you this idea that uh, the stereotypical asian that you're actually going to see are going to be white criminals in disguise so your mileage will vary on this portrayal but i think more wise into your shows some skill here in this writing even though the uh, the format doesn't really let him get too nuanced, but uh, it's not the writer or the artist that is doing the stereotyping here. He's allowing the criminals to do it. Remember? The bad guys. And, of course, the head. And that's going to be a whole other thing that we're going to see. Now, the next person we see is... Uh, an Asian man but he's just dressed in normal street clothes North American street clothes and the gangsters whack him on the head with a hatchet and what they are doing is basically trying to drum up problems between the community organizations known as Tongs and uh, committing crimes of course dressed up as Chinese so this is sort of a Boston Tea Party version going on in Chinatown. Now we could talk about what a Chinatown is. This is an open name that is used in virtually the Asian sections where many immigrants have come to. It started primarily in San Francisco in the days of the gold rush um, when people came from all over the world to San Francisco you know, to try to make their play and uh, Chinese people were among them as well for protection they formed uh, little enclaves uh, in parts of the city and formed these community organizations known as tongs somewhat based on uh, secret society organizations that they would have had back in china and of course chinatowns have developed all over north america when, when you think of chinatowns you think of san francisco you think of los angeles perhaps seattle uh, I was winning one a couple of years ago in Honolulu, 
But of course, they are all over North America, right through to New York, where this uh, story is taking place. Philadelphia, Boston, uh, where I live, Calgary has a very vibrant Chinatown. And uh, the city I live closest to, even tiny little Lethbridge, uh, 100,000 people, um, still has a, uh, some Chinatown buildings left over from the early 1900s, from early railroad days. In uh, small towns, um, I live in a small town of about 10,000 people. I can go down to a Chinese restaurant anytime I want, provided COVID's not happening, of course. And that can happen in towns down to 100 people all across the prairies. It's always the Chinese immigrants that have come to the prairies, opened up restaurants. Um, of course, we're a long ways from way from the days of the Chinese laundries. Restaurants and just about any kind of a business you can think of, you can find Chinese um, immigration going on. As the Tong gangs are forming here, or as the wars uh, and the suspicion going on between the Tongs that is being driven up, and uh, Lin Chu, uh, he is the leader of the White Lotus Tong, and he has a grandson who is named only Stuff. Now that is not obviously not his name. It'll be a, probably a good solid 50 to 60 years before we will actually learn Stuff's real name that is Vincent Leong. And that actually won't be until we get into uh, uh, probably into the late 1980s, some post-crisis stories in a comic called El Diablo. Now, Stuff is, he's a young guy. Um, it's hard to say what he is. He might be anywhere north of 10 years old, 11, 12 years old. And when you look at him, you just start to think a street kid. Now, his grandfather, Lin Chu, does speak in a very English, very Chinese clipped English. You know, and he's got the, the fortune cookie proverbs, hatchet like coin, many have many orders. But stuff, he's a street kid, and he's got the slang. And you'll hear it through the radio drama. And uh, stuff's going to be around a while, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with him. Uh, and he is anything but looking like a stereotypical uh, Chinese-American. Chinese he is a, an American of Chinese descent who has obviously learned his English and learned his toughness on the street. Uh, of course, Vigilante comes downtown because, hey, that's where the good restaurants are. He comes down to Chinatown, and he encounters stuff because, uh, well, stuff's just an angry young man. He throws something that bounces off of Greg Saunders' hat. Greg grabs him, promises him, um, he hears his story, promises him that the Vigilante will investigate. And, of course, Betty Stewart's along to put her normal skepticism and and she still hasn't tumbled to, to the fact that the two cowboys in her life that look exactly alike and wear jeans and wear the same shirt and oh I have to tell you the vigilante is wearing a brown hat take that Chris Franklin and Martin Gray brown hat as it should be none of this white hat stuff Good on you, Vidge. You finally graduated from trying to be a cowboy, Mr. Rourke. 
so Vigilante very respectfully meets with Lin Chu, tells him he will do what he can, and he invites Stuff to show him around Chinatown. He goes, hey, you know what? This is your hood. Tell me what, you know, sh show me the things that you need to see. And they encounter our, uh, our racially based Chinese gangsters who are not Chinese. And the head is watching a lot of this behind, uh, behind locked doors and behind curtains and such. Very cleverly not getting involved. Stuff manages to find some hatchets that have his grandsons, or his grandfathers rather, um, identifications. They have a very distinctive sort of a dragon logo, as you might expect to see. And this is very interesting. Uh, when they deliver them to Clancy the Cop, Hello, Henry Boltonoff. They ask these characters their names. And, of course, they speak in this pidgin Chinese. And stuff is having none of us. He grabs up a rag. And he wipes the yellow paint off their face down to the white faces of these gangsters. Very interesting how they have colored these, these criminals. Now, Vig has a pink face as well. But it's a very, very light pink. Uh... And suddenly we hear the, the gongs, as you'd expect to hear. And it's not the dinner bell, it is the head. And he has got the criminals around Chinatown, the white criminals, I should say, pretty much trained pretty good. He hits that gong, and they appear. And when they do appear, uh, they're there to take on the vigilante. Vig and Stuff give them a very good going through. And vigil and stuff, I should say, has also told him that uh, why he's a good fighter. He knows jujitsu. Jujitsu, if you don't know, um, probably was um, the 1940s version of what we called either kung fu or karate. You can look up these fighting styles. I don't really know one from the other that much. Now my Google foo tells me. That jujutsu, it's actually jujutsu is the proper spelling and pronunciation, is more a holding, pinning, and a way of joint locking, as opposed to being a striking sort of a thing as in Zen Karate. The more you know. But there are basically different sort of a fighting styles. And so, you know a good 30 years before our kung fu craze and the bruce least uh, uh, sort of a fascination of the 1970s stuff is already a martial artist and that's what makes him a good aid to the vigilante and it's really interesting um they overpower stuff and vigilante i think stuff manages to get away at some point um, Vidge is given the bamboo water torture out of a bamboo container. And uh, even the gangsters are mystified by this. Like they're even feeling sorry for Vigilante. He goes, I'm glad that ain't me. But they're really mostly mystified by the, uh, by the head. As his big giant head appears, the smoke comes out. And I like this part. The smoke sure smells sweet. Almost makes me feel slap happy. Well, I think they're having a little bit of the wildwood weed coming out of that, uh, or incense pot, I should say. 
And, of course, uh, Vigilante. He's always got it. Don't take off his spurs, of course, when you're going to put him in a trap. And, of course, walk away. And Vigilante manages to scratch at his, uh, at his bonds and scratch at the iron until he makes contact with a nearby electrical outlet. And that seems to short-circuit it. Why it doesn't electrocute Vigilante, especially with all that water around? Well, because comics. And we have another good fight. Uh, there's a lot of good fight scenes around here. Uh, Vig gets some good licks in. And there's a lot, of, a lot of bums that find themselves flat on their back thanks to Stuff and his jujitsu. Of course, because they're a cowardly, superstitious lot, once they've realized that they're, they're being beaten, they run away. Even to the point where the head calls them cowards. Well, you'd think that would be the end of it. Um, Vig overpowers the head. And this is when we get uh, the big reveal. Vig pulls back the head's sleeve. And he sees a tattoo. And it's not a Chinese tattoo. It's a dagger of Kali. A society of Japanese secret agents. I will take your word for that, Vig. Although I should probably look that up. And as you recall, when are we? We're in December 17th, 1941 by the sale date. And we are definitely at war. This is not a... The head is not a Chinese man. He's not a Chinese gangster. He's an agent of the Empire of Japan. And why is he pulling off this stunt? Trying to pull Chinese gangs in New York against each other? And as he explains, because a villain always explains before, before the police arrive. Haven't you watched Law and Order and CSI? Always explain your crimes before your, your legal counsel gets there. It was to make the Chinese folks so occupied with their own troubles they wouldn't be able to help their mother country. Now there's no more explanations into that. But let's face it, any kid that's reading this comic is also reading a newspaper because kids did read newspapers. And their parents did explain the news to them at this point in time, and there were radio shows. They knew that for the past four years, the nation of China has been under the thrall of the Japanese army long before Pearl Harbor. In fact, it was that occupation of China, and in particular the rape of Nang King, um, that caused the sanctions against Japan that would eventually lead to war with the United States. Uh, the United States cut off its uh, export of oil and uh, scrap metal. And uh, at that point in time, that's when the Japanese decided to find their own oil across Malaysia and use Pearl Harbor to try to... Uh, keep the, the uh, American fleet from coming after them in retaliation. Of course, that was only worked for a few weeks, and uh, then full-blown war worked, worked out, and all the rest is history. You have to say to yourself, you know, like, is this really going to do a lot of good? Well, you have to think to yourself that these Chinese tongs in places like New York and San Francisco, they make money, and they make money in amongst each other, and they likely are shipping a lot of uh, foreign aid back to the home country, banking in the home country. And let's face it, even before Pearl Harbor, the United States, in some ways, is fighting proxy war in China already. 
Uh, just look up General Claire Chenault and the Flying Tigers. They were a mercenary unit that was in China in the late 1930s and eventually were absorbed into the uh, United States Army Air Force. And uh, they didn't just go there of their own accord. Uh, it was definitely a, a, a sort of arrangement. So we get back to here. The head is, uh, we've got him covered. You'd think that'd be the end of the story. And, you know, Vidge and stuff could probably walk away, but stuff realizes, like, hey, those bums are still wandering out in amongst Chinatown. What are we going to do about it? Well, Vidge is going to use their cowardly, superstitious ways against them. He's got the head's gong, and he's going to bang the gong around. Vigilante uses that expression, bang the gong around, as we hear. And there's a reason for that. It's an expression that isn't just mean the obvious. It was a phrase used in a very popular song about that point of time, Cab Calloway, and it was a song called Minnie the Moocher. And if you're ever familiar with the uh, movie The Blues Brothers, that's Cab Calloway that helps the Blues Brothers out, the older black gentleman that is uh, that they emulate, that they dress like, and he actually sings that Minnie the Moocher song in uh, the concert scene towards the end of the movie and that, that is a popular line in there I should probably throw that in at this point in time and of course uh, like Pavlovian dogs the gangsters show up and Vidge and stuff are ready for them with ropes and jujitsu and of course uh make them ready for Clancy the cop to come pick them up and in the very last panel this is where Vigilante talks about the old magician's trick I think this is probably something him and Zatera talked to about to backstage at the all-star squadron meetings possibly if they've had an all-star squadron meeting yet but we know that Vig and Zatera will meet Vig basically does what stuff did or sorry the head did and he puts himself on the, the platform where the two mirrors can hit each other, small mirror, big mirror, and he gives himself a big giant hit. And that's where we should probably talk about William Shatner on Third Rock from the Sun, the big giant hit. And he also uh, talks about how the, uh, the thick smoke and a drug released by the incense helped the illusion. Oh, the head. He's not just dealing in terror. He's dealing in opium or pot or something good that those gangsters like. And that's probably the end of the story of the wild wood weed. Now, we come to our very last panel. We have come to know that uh, in our last panels, Betty and Greg are usually going to have a set to. And uh, Betty is usually going to say, look what the vigilante did, Greg. And Greg will just shuffle it off. Clark can't like, oh, I don't know, can't all be public heroes. Well, this is a sad occasion, actually. Folks, we're going to see a lot of stuff. In fact, stuff will be a part of the vigilante's exploits right up until 1954, and we'll see him a lot in the modern age as well. Um, 
There's a, a few storylines where he won't come across too well, but spoilers, we're not going to get ahead of ourselves. As far as Billy Gunn, the other sidekick, the old mayor of uh, Times Square, he'll be around from time to time, but pretty much stuff is going to take his place. Uh, stuff will never appear in leading comics, interestingly enough. Billy Gunn will appear in leading comics in the Seven Soldiers of Victory stories. So, when you get back to the, uh, you know, what a lot of retconners would like to do after Crisis on Infinite Earths, when suddenly we don't have an Earth 2 Green Arrow and Speedy to deal with in Seven Soldiers, they like to say, oh, stuff was in the Seven Soldiers. They took his place. Well, <laughs> no, he never was there. He never was in any Seven Soldiers of Victory stories. But fortunately, things like Infinite Frontier are bringing us back to multifarious Earths, and maybe we can have Green Arrows and Speedies back in the Seven Soldiers. The way the natural order should be. Now, what is our sad part? Well, this nice ginger-haired girl, who for the last, oh, several episodes of Prairie Justice has been uh, so skeptical of Greg Saunders, this dude. Well, I hope you didn't get used to her, because she is gone. This is our last appearance of Betty Stewart, and I've been through most of the stories, and I have never seen this white ginger-haired blues singer again. You'll see uh, love interests from time to time, never a steady one. This is about as close as Vidge ever got. But there's no sense going away mad. Let's give Betty a very good send-off. I think it's a very apropos song because we've always kind of wondered what would uh, Betty see in Greg Saunders. And apparently, as we've discovered over the number of issues, not very much. So let's once again hear from Ian Tyson. And sorry, Dave McElvaney, no yodeling this time. Just a very little tender love ballad on Greg Sanders Radio Rodeo.
when it's all me I'm just hanging around what does she see what does she see that old cowboy Thank you, Ian. And that's about all I've got to say on this time. Uh, we've learned some lessons here. Don't bang a gong. And don't stereotype. And also, don't necessarily think that uh, any story might be what it is. It might be somewhere different. And maybe Mort Weisinger is a little craftier than we give him credit for. So, that's all for this time. Yeehaw! And remember, folks, say it with six guns. We'll leave a light on the front porch, and we'll see you next time. In the corner of a dark bar room Said a little cowboy singing western tunes Singing songs that he learned as a child All about the West back when it was wild well, So long, partners. You've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. All materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. Stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the vigilante, and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. Email, you can go to vigilantecast at gmail.com. Website is www. Dot Ranger Gourds Roundup, all one word, at dot wordpress.com. And we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the Cowboy Crusader. Vaya con Dios, compadres, eh? Because he's the last of a singing cowboy.